Welcome to the GamesNet Berlin Europe podcast. Here, we speak with extraordinary games industry professionals and listen to their story. To learn all about what they've built and who they are. GamesNet Berlin Europe is the international games industry initiative of MediaNet Berlin Brandenburg. The networking association for the media, creative and digital industries in Germany's capital region. My name is Simon Oller and I will be your host for this program. Today I'm speaking with Fedor van Herpen. He is the co-founder and the partnerships guy at meet to match the premium event experience platform. In part one, which you're listening to right now, we speak about how he became the game events guy in his career and at his company and why his co-founder Ansgar isn't. Sorry, Ansgar. <laughs> we also talk about how he built meet to match from scratch in an Excel sheet. And we cover what the most important things are about matching and meeting with people, especially during COVID times. Fedor has some killer tips here. Make sure you don't miss them. If you would like to, you can subscribe to this podcast to also find part two of this episode. In part two, we cover life, family, childhood, games, etc. So please enjoy my conversation with Fedor van Herpen. Hi, Fedor, and welcome to the show. Hey, Simon. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Good morning. Thanks for coming. Very, uh, very pleased to have you. You are one of the founders of meet to match And as far as I know, you're responsible for partnerships. So you're kind of the guy people know, right? Is that about right? <laughs> yes, you're, you're totally right because uh, um, uh, it's often uh, uh, of uh, um, my my co-founder Ansgar um, is often uh, annoyed by that that people know who I am but they don't know who he is because he is running every important stuff on the more background. Um, so yes, I'm the more outward-facing person of the team. Very funny. How, how I have to ask, how do you uh, reconcile that? Or what kind of conversations do you have about that? Or what does it look like when Ansgar um, is, is mad about it? <laughs> well, very often it's, uh, it's funny when we have a... Um, when there was a time when we were doing live events, <laughs> um, we were often standing at the event as a, acting as a host. And then pe when people had questions about, uh, about Meet to Match, they would approach either me or Ansgar, but they would start with the question, I've already had contact with Fedor. Is he around? But it would never be, I already had contact with Ansgar. Is he around? So then when Ansgar gets that question, he always says like, well, but I'm his other half. <laughs> Equal partners here. This is Fedor, but uh, yeah, glad to meet you. Um, And it's and, and it's funny that was in the in a more starting uh, startup years uh, when we uh, had that often. After that, we we took on more team members who were also more outward facing. So it's now Fedor or Romy or Zoe, um, but still, it's probably never Ansgar. <laughs> <laughs> oh, very good. And um, and uh, did he get? I don't know. It's so funny. Did he get? Did he get used to that now? Is that is that more of a of a given now or is it still a yeah no it, it, it doesn't really annoy him uh so he doesn't is not mad about it I, i think he accepts it but now treats it as a running gag or something just very good hey hey ansgar if you hear this i'd love to meet you one day i'm totally interested in you just just so just so you know i'm not like the others okay um <laughs> that's great um 
How how did you become the guy that people know, or or why are you that guy? What do you do to be that guy? Yeah, that was um, trying to have a, an internship uh, to finalize a, a master in marketing. Um, I was almost hired by the oil company Shell uh, at that point, or actually I was already hired, uh, but then really last minute. Um, the internship was canceled for various reasons, not uh, because of me, but because they couldn't give me the uh, the right uh, um, advice and the right uh, uh, person to to help me out there. Um, so I was left to my own devices, finding a, a another internship, and that was the best thing that could have happened in my life because. I don't want to work at Shell. I did want to work at Shell, but right now I would never work at Shell uh, <laughs> because of all the environmental uh, uh, misery and impact that are responsible for. However, um, my uh, sister-in-law uh, was working at a foundation who was organizing game events. And she said, well, we need somebody in a marketing field uh, that can help us out. Um, and that was um, the Dutch Game Days Foundation, um, and they asked us to to uh, ask me to help out um, doing marketing and business development for that event. Obviously, as an intern, you first get the um, uh, the, the small uh, small jobs and the small tasks. But um, yeah, that was in two thousand and nine, um, and then I never left the games events industry ever. <laughs> yeah okay so and, and that's how you became the guy people know because you were always um around at uh at games events probably first the dutch ones and then d did it already become an international affair for you with the dutch game events or was that only when you started meet to match no so um uh, the moment i uh, came on board there um uh, the dutch game days transformed into an international event and it was uh, uh rebranded to the festival of games um and i already went started traveling to other events uh, um closely uh, around us um to find sponsors visitors etc so that was uh, indeed the, the the first moment when I um, uh, started traveling and became a face of of at that point just a festival of games. Um, and at a certain point in time, we stopped organizing the conference. Um, the competition was so fierce in Europe with uh, with B two B gamey fans, uh, and uh, we noticed that the uh, the matchmaking part of what we did at the festival of games when we started there. Uh, was a very interesting business model, and uh, we started to work together with gaming fans around us. Can um, you describe how you started the the matchmaking in the very beginning? Yeah, that's a that's a really nice story because every time I people are asking me this question, and uh, they 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 are a bit laughing when I'm I'm telling how that was done. So we we noticed that people were not willing to. Uh, or not willing, they were seeing a declining value of having just an exhibitor spot uh, on an expo. And they were looking for a more tangible thing, something with, with a more measurable return on investment. So we, we started that matchmaking service where, where 
developers could invite publishers and, and service providers were also added to the mix. Um, but that first moment, that first event in 2009, I did that matchmaking and that planning by hand or, well, Excel. Uh, and that Excel sheet was, uh, was, was pretty big with lots of tabs. Um, but that was fine up until the moment that people either started canceling or wanted to be on board last minute. Um, so, um, that was, that was, those last uh, days were, were pretty stressful. Um, but so, so after that edition where, uh, where we, we saw that there was a, a demand for that, um, I told my bosses, one of them, which was my now co-founder Ansgar, like, I'm not going to do this anymore in an Excel sheet. We need some technology to solve this for us. And ideally, we're even uh, doing this as a self-service uh, uh, mm. service. Um, so that's why we uh, um, um, build a first iteration of uh, our meeting planning platform at that point. Um, I I'm a bit curious because I, I can totally see how how that's how that's a bit crazy to do that by hand. I mean, I, I'm not a big technology guy, but I am a bit curious. How do you uh, manage to m create such a relational system? I guess where you know you you pair people with other people at an event, and there's probably a lot of scheduling and blah blah. How how did you even create that in Excel? Maybe with a reasonable, not too much amount of detail, but and then how did you technologize that? That's that's something I'm very curious about right now. Yeah, good question. There's a lot of digging uh, uh, <laughs> in my memory right now. Um, but basically, what we did in 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 uh, the Excel era, um, we asked both the developers which publishers or investors, but it was more publisher focused at that point in time, that they wanted to meet, and we just arranged those meetings, and then we gave a uh, agenda to the publishers a couple of days before, like, hey, this is what's going to happen uh, for you. Um, just show up and we'll facilitate you with some nice tables and chairs to sit down at. Um, and the, the, yeah, how to technologize that. We, we created some, some use cases, some, some flows, and we said, like, okay, you have two people at the table, you have a publisher, you have a developer, that's the biggest use case. Uh, the developer wants to reach out to the publisher, so they need to understand what the publisher is doing, so we need to have some basic information, and vice versa, the publisher needs to understand what the developer is working on and what he or she is looking for. Um, mm. And based on that, we, we're trying to try to use tags in their profile, like, hey, I'm a developer or I'm in need for investment or, or those kind of thing. Um, and then the scheduling part. Um, and at that point in time, probably it was very um, difficult to build. Um, but looking at it, uh, looking back at it, um, right now with virtual events needing to take into account time zone of different participants, that should have been a walk in the park. Um, but obviously it was not, and obviously it had their first, um, uh, it first hiccups, uh, et cetera, but it worked pretty well the first time. Um, and I think we had the opportunity of this not being a, a standard system, standard way of working at events yet. So people were 
already happy that they had something instead of nothing. Um, and they actually helped us out with providing us tips and tricks, and we just built it uh, uh, from there. Understood. What Do you know what makes a successful match at such an event? I mean, I'm sure you have data on that through through your system. What 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 are the kind of parameters that can kind of predict a good match between, well, whoever might be meeting? I'm not yeah. asking for my own dating life or anything. I'm I'm just uh, professionally curious. Yeah, you're not asking about swiping left or right. Correct. Um, okay. Um, it's providing as much information as possible that is relevant without providing too much information. Um, so, how could that look like? Sorry to interrupt. Maybe as an example. No, it's good because I'm I'm wrapping my my head around answering your question. Um, there is always a a buyer and a seller, and a buyer needs certain information. So you make sure that that information is requested on the profile, and vice versa, uh, similar. Um, back back in the days, there were not so many. Um, platforms and stores around so the requirements from the publisher and investor uh, or the skills from the developer were not so different from one another as opposed to now um, right now what information is that publishers or investors want to know is even what kind of engine are you using what kind of business model uh, um, um, are you applying um, And back in the days, it was more like either it's a web game or it's a game on one of the bigger platforms. But there weren't so many indie publishers around at that point in time. So I think that the necessity for valuable information to find the right partner to meet up with grew over time. But, that, but at the start, it was very basic. I just have a very nice game. Does it fit on your platform? Let's do it. <laughs> okay and today it's more about the well there are more parameters there are the are the decisions to match i i think you are talking mostly about developers and publishers um let's say more more difficult or something is that is that what i'm hearing is it is it a more complex situation or is it just different well there are a lot of um both niche developers and niche publishers that are focusing on a very specific segment mm. of players. Um, so that is information that you want to have in, in the profile. Um, so I think what is different right now is that people are uh, very, very upfront about what they want, but also very explicitly about what they're not looking for. So even in their profiles, they're defining... If you have this and that, then don't bother. Uh, VR is a good example. A lot of publishers are saying, like, if you have something in VR, that's not something we're focusing on. That does sound a bit like the dating things. <laughs> if you're smoking, don't don't even talk to me. <laughs> yeah. Yes, but but you know, a, a match is a match, whether that be in 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 love and relationship or in business, um, and. A lot of the deals that are made 
um, are made for, I don't know, 75% based on, on the content that you have to offer, uh, but also 25% on the relationship. Are you a nice guy to uh, guy or girl to work with? Um, how does your team look like? Are we sure that you will be able uh, to deliver in time? Are you trustworthy? So it's similar dynamics as dating. And for sure, and that brings me to something that I have on my mind. Uh, of course, as far as I understand, with me to match, you mostly provided an, an additional interface layer for physical events. And well, I, I'm really curious how you work during COVID now and how you could help people there, because I think it's something that affects the entire games industry. It's so events driven and everybody loves their events and so on and so forth. And uh, yeah, that's obviously gone at the moment. What, what did you do uh, in the recent time? Yeah, I think just before COVID, a year before, a year and a half before, we, we had two, let's say, lucky moments, or maybe you can call it strategy. I don't know. Um, <laughs> but there were two, two decisions uh, that, we, that we made that highly impacted our, our ability to adapt to the new situation. The first one was that at the, at the core, like 10 years ago and, and for, for five, six years, seven years after, we were just a matchmaking platform, just focused on, on getting meetings, uh, during an event that would happen during an event. Um, but very often event organizers had other applications there too, to manage a, all the conference sessions that were happening all, um, uh, and, at a certain point in time, we said, like, yeah, it doesn't matter. It's it's not user-friendly to give these event participants two different apps to manage these things. So we decided to um, uh, create the conference schedule um, in our application as well to become more of a full event app than just meeting planning and matchmaking. The second thing that impacted our, our ability uh, to pivot was that since 2018, we had one client um, in the game business uh, show who was doing online events with us. And um, so we kind of already adapted and prepared our technology in such a way that instead of, let's say, assigning... Uh, tables and chairs or uh, um, a booth number to a meeting so people knew where to meet up with. We also created already created technology to add virtual meeting rooms um, to a uh, to a meeting. So whenever when COVID hit and for us it, it became most apparent in, in March 2020, um, we had only slight adjustments to make um to transform to a virtual event platform and that was mostly on how to develop or how to create the video streams for conference sessions in our platform so how would we enable others to view the video content and we were pretty much done with that in a month in april and that was also the moment where event organizers instead of putting everything on hold and canceling everything they had planned, getting back to uh, business, stating like, okay, if we're not going to do something uh, on site, we're going to do something virtual. Uh, can you do that? 
And luckily, at that point in time, we were able to say, uh, yes, we can. Yes, we can. Very good. Okay. And do you, again, uh, about the how people meet, do you think, um, or have you experienced, I, I'm trying to tap your unique uh, view on many people meeting, um, have you experienced that that is now different? Do you see different outcomes in in uh, meetings and matchmaking during this time? Just very again curious about about that. How how the real life events and maybe online events are are different. You're still trying to facilitate the same matches. How is it differing now? Yeah, there are several elements that are different right now, uh, and they're also again changing over time. Um, I think the, the first, um, element is because of the fact that travel and the costs, uh, connected to travel are removed. Uh, also the, the boundaries for people to join were much more removed. Um, take an example of a, uh, a game developer conference, uh, in San Francisco, Normally, you would spend, I don't know, 5,000 to 10,000 euros in a, in a week on hotel, on tickets, on uh, food. Um, and that's a big investment. Right now, if you're, you're setting up a virtual event and you're selling a ticket for, I don't know, 100 euros, um, that also means that people that were normally not able to pay up for those travel costs can now easily uh, participate. Um, so that would be smaller indies. That would be people from uh, um, regions such as Africa uh, or uh, Latin America or other regions um, where um, currency value and, and exchange rates are, are, are a thing or investments of that size. Um, and simultaneously, also publishers from Asia were able to join, multiple of them uh, or other regions. So more people were able to join from different kind of regions. So that, that made it a, a, a great new dynamic because it also offered um, developers that were already traveling to these kinds of events access to new kind of publishers and investors because normally they wouldn't travel, go to GDC or go to a smaller game event. I think the, the second thing what we've seen um, is that everybody was adapting pretty quickly. It was uh, um, obviously the games industry is a, a tech-savvy industry and switching to virtual was done in a heartbeat for people. Um, especially since this whole situation was very new, everybody was like, well, th this is it right now. I need to cope with this. I'm, um, going full steam ahead with these new opportunities. Um, I think that is something that has been changing, uh, over time in the past year, as in the fact that everybody is zoomed out, so to say. Um, everybody is so fed up with looking at their screen for sorry. Every everybody zoomed out is is what you said. Is that a is that a pun? Is, I mean, yeah. Well, so yeah, that's a pun. Uh, <laughs> as in, everybody's fed up with using Zoom or whatever kind of technologies, video calling. Uh, everybody's continuously watching at their screen, both for development, yeah. Yeah. Uh, um, work, uh, but also the pressure 
on people of of switching from task to task is is taking a toll because normally yeah. when you would go to an on-site event um your colleagues wouldn't bother you because they knew you, you are there you focus there you're doing the stuff when you return in three four days you'll ask the question or you send people an email and just wait for them to reply but right now you can have a couple of business development meetings then you have a team meeting uh then you need to do some development or create a proposal or or a presentation or whatsoever it goes on and on so that is that is also taking a toll on on people people are just like in general a bit fed up with the whole COVID situation and like to go out and meet people again no doubt and then thirdly, what we uh, have seen is that um, um, the games industry was able to um, uh, thrive during, during COVID because everybody needed to stay at home and actually spend more money on buying games, playing games. Um, so the publishers um, had more revenues. So they were able to uh, reinvest that back in multiple opportunities. So there were more opportunities for developers to actually find a publisher for their next games. Um, so that was a, that's also a, a, a big change. Hmm. Yeah, these are good insights. And I, I think it's... Mm. It's very interesting how it brings people together, but in this weird way, <laughs> in this always there way. And it makes the, like you said, the people are zoomed out um, or zoomed up or whatever. It uh, seems to uh, bring a great need of just looking somewhere else than, than at a screen uh, and so on. But it's also very interesting to see that there's a kind of, if I understood you right, kind of a more globalized situation going on where there are actually less barriers. So it's always nice to hear that there's a, well, let's assume that's positive, right? I mean, who knows, but let's assume that's positive. It's nice that that's in there too. <laughs> yeah, it's positive and negative. So yes, there are more opportunities, but simultaneously you're competing with way, way more people. So it's less easy to stand out because it's easier to stand out if you're physically somewhere uh, because then you can connect as a person. But right now in the virtual space, whether, whether, why, and there's just a screen in between of you, um, you're, you're one of a few of many. Uh, so it's, it's very hard to stand out to, uh, to make sure you really connect with the person on the other side and make an impression that lasts. Yes. And that's, I think that's kind of what I was wondering about when I asked you in the beginning just now. It's like, how, how, how is it different for people to meet? And I think that, I mean, I'm, I'm lucky that I don't have to zoom too much, but I think it would drive me crazy to, um, to be in this, to be faced with the scenario you just described, with this difficulty to stand out. Um, and yeah, it's nice. It's nice to be in physical places and meet people and have a one-on-one -on -one or run around with a group and it's all changing and you see different sites. There's a, there's a, yeah, meeting people uh, that that's even on, it's easy on the eyes. I think that's also something that I just got from what you're saying. You know, you see different people up close from afar, but in a real like three-dimensional space, that's pretty nice. Maybe underestimated. 
Yeah, and I think what it's also um, um, really missing right now is is the opportunity to connect on a personal level after you had a business discussion. So, for example, if you meet up at a, uh, at an event, and then um, afterwards there is a happy hour or a party going on, uh, and you meet that same person, um, and you cheer with that person uh, over a beer or a non-alcoholic drink, uh, you can have fun, you can have laughs, you can have dinner together. Um, so you're building memories together. And and that is something also like virtually, uh, one what we haven't been able to replicate well, that, that nice way of, of uh, coming together and, and just have fun. And secondly, again, with uh, uh, people being fed up looking at the screen, people are happy that the event is over and they're not looking for another social activity which is being conducted through a screen yeah for sure and you know it seems to me like you said a really good thing that it's about making memories and kind of it seems to be about changing states so in in the afternoon you're meeting at the conference and you know we all well we all in the games industry probably know the feeling the afternoon uh, is late maybe i'm not speaking for everyone maybe you've been hung over and it's like a, a sit situation but you're still doing your work and it's kind of fun and uh, you're there having a meeting or something talking about something serious but there's a general lighthearted mood going on because you're among so many people and and so on and then at night after dark so to speak and i think also you we both kind of just said it in a way but I think that's why drinking is also so popular um, and and uh, other activities because it's a state change, right? And if you change states with people, that's where you make memories. And and sitting on a computer in a Zoom meeting um, and in derivatives is like the opposite of a state change. Like and the memories are like stored in your body, I, I would say, and. Um, how can you make memories if you're sitting in the same place and the people and just the words change? It doesn't seem to mean so much, does it? No, I, I, I'm totally uh, on the same page uh, uh, as what, to what you just described. And I think my, my most important realization um, about human interaction is that when you're having a meeting um, over Zoom or whatsoever, you can never look each other in the eye because if you want to look somebody in the eye, you need to look at the camera. And by looking at the camera, you can't look at the screen and see the other person's eye. And I think that's one of the basic fundamentals uh, of communication between people is to look at one another. Yeah. And I can, I can speak for myself here. I don't know if it applies to other people or if I'm just a bit of a narcissist, but I also tend to look at my own picture when I'm in a video call. It's like, because it's interesting <laughs> to, yeah. to, to yeah, look yeah. in the mirror. It's like, how am I looking while I'm speaking? You know, you have this thing, you need to stand out. You are presenting, you are also representing yourself. It's like, how's my look? Okay, that's fine. And that can be helpful, especially if if you're in a more performative role and but that is also what you're kind of criticizing right now that you are in a performative role that you have to well it's yeah i don't know it's almost like you are kind of speaking to yourself because of what you described because either you look at the camera or you look at the screen 
but then yeah. maybe you look at yourself it's like it's a weird thing and that's actually why i really prefer i mean we are on a on an audio software right now and we could do this with video but i really prefer being on the phone metaphorically because at least we can let's say while we can't look each other in the eye right now we can like hear each other in the voice you know which is like a a pretty decent um replacement because and the eyes are not distracted right i can look out my window while i'm listening to you but i'm still intently listening to you it's a if if we would introduce video to this it would be a whole different scenario in a way absolutely um i just recently had a had a conversation about both of these topics um uh, and and it's fun to see uh that many of the of the video conferencing technologies only recently and then i'm talking about a couple of months most of them also introduced the functionality of removing the piece that is showing yourself uh so you're actually able to focus on the others instead of continuously watching am i look how, how am i looking uh, um what, what is happening in my background that kind of stuff oh interesting yeah, yeah and 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 secondly with that uh, uh, audio remark you made um yes i i have started to call people more often in the past year i was despising having calls uh, like like a couple of years ago i would never take a call people who would call me would almost instantly get my voicemail i'd like to do it over uh, um uh, um uh, text chat or or whatsoever over email um but with all these zoom calls now um I tend to call people and then I, I love to just take a stroll outside uh, uh, and talk to people while indeed, like you were saying, intently listening. Yeah. And that brings your body back into it too. So I actually have a fixed walking route that um, is really nice because it's kind of fixed. It's also beautiful. And I, I don't have to think where am I walking now? So I can basically do other things while I do that. So either I talk to somebody or I'm on a... Um, I'm on a podcast or I just listen to music or I listen to nothing and just kind of meditate. Um, I notice that sometimes on my walk, I can remember a certain conversation I've had, a certain piece of podcast I listen to when I pass a certain spot. Now, of course, I pass that certain spot almost every day on my walk, but still there are embodied memories that I can seem to recall. And um yeah you know <laughs> the memories quote unquote that you have while sitting on your computer um are like infinite right they're 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 so they're many a blur. Things. yeah they are a blur they're, they they yeah. can probably not be called memories exactly so <laughs> the the walking and talking uh that seems to be the way because you can bring your body into it and that's what I mentioned with making an impression as well. And, and I was not so explicitly explaining it like you were, you were saying, but I think you are right. Me in a, in a partnership uh, uh, role um, where I'm usually pretty good at is to remember names and where people are at companies, uh, um, et cetera. But in this past year, I've with people I met newly, um, that has become increasingly uh, uh, less easy. Um, and I think that is because I can't attribute a visual memory or experience uh, with that. Yeah. Well, that's really something. Well, it's so funny. I've, I've never, you know, I, well, 
this is an unusual episode now because I, I really wanted to talk to you about this because you are like the expert in people meeting, right? And at the same time, this seems to be so mundane because everybody is experiencing this. But I think it's nice to to really unpack that a little bit. What is happening? Why is this happening? So um, I guess uh, maybe what we can kind of uh, close uh, part part one with is do, what would in your expertise, like you said, as somebody who as a job meets people, but then also... Um, has a company that wants people to meet and facilitates that what would be your advice for people at the moment what would you say what would you recommend people do maybe other than what we already said or maybe you can reiterate that um what's the best way to make um, lasting impressions memories and connections at the time in the time we're in right now. Yeah. I would say start off with being picky because there are a lot of events uh, around right now but, um, in the gaming space or any other industry. Um, and it's easy to do because of the, the cost of joining are, are much lower to join a lot of them. But what I would recommend is focus on a couple events that where you think Okay, here is uh, uh, where I'm going to find what I'm looking for. And very important, that's not necessarily always the bigger event around because with the bigger event, you're competing with a lot of other people. So maybe try and find your niche event uh, where that, that specific publisher or investor is attending. Um, and try to build up a relationship around going forward with that meeting. Uh, so do a first intro over email, or if you don't have his or her email address already, um, uh, li link up on LinkedIn or look him up on Twitter and um, start a conversation. Look what he or she is interested in. Um, I think that right now when people are starting to sell something, whether it be a game or a service or whatsoever, The conversation right now should not be really about the product. Make sure that 50% of your time is about interpersonal relationship. Try and make jokes. Try uh, And no bad jokes, please. But try and make jokes. No bad jokes. Uh, yeah, bad no jokes bad are jokes prohibited. Yeah, yeah, prohibited. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, um, I, I can say that because I'm, I'm well known, at least within my team, for making a lot of dad jokes, uh, which are often considered bad, but I think they're good. So uh, yeah, I'm, I'm I'm on your side, Fedor. I'm Team Dad joke for okay, sure. Okay, good, nice, yes, nice, yes. nice. Um, so, but try to 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 show the other person you research him or her, and not only on the business side of things, but also ask the person how he's doing, but not just the standard way of doing like hey are you doing good no go in that like like what have you been doing uh this weekend what is the the most interesting thing you did in the past month outside of work um like by it's again just human nature human behavior basic things of communication show that you care don't push your the thing you want to convey um but ask listen Go in the, in, into depth with a conversation on a personal level. And then follow up 
uh, on different channels. So uh, again, use a LinkedIn or an email um, to become or stay top of mind and refer to that nice conversation that you had by making dad jokes or good jokes. <laughs> um, yeah, I think that's that's the most important thing. Yeah, I I think that's also I I want to underline a few things, add one or two things. I think that that is really good advice in general. I think we are very used to, you said the word conveying. So I'm imagining like a conveyor belt, right? It goes out from <laughs> my mouth to your ear kind of, right? Let me just transfer some packets of information to you. Um, I think people w are used to doing business like that a lot. Let me tell you, tell you, tell you what I have. And it ha can have, well, unless your information is really structured top-notch and very easy on the ears and very informative and very high value, so to speak, that can also take an ugly turn, kind of a domineering um, yeah, uh, uh, turn. And I think I, as an interviewer, I would always advocate for the power of the question, like you described too. I, that's what I took from what you said. It's like, you know, be interested in the person first. Everybody wants to convey something. It's so important at the moment to, it's a whole different thing if I just speak to you compared to I ask you something and then you speak to me. Or, well, I wanted to say it the other way around. Like, if you ask me first and then I speak, I have way more space to speak instead of us competing for airtime, kind of. Um, and now let me convey to you And now, well, but now I have to convey to you, and it's kind of this this battle. And I think the power of the question is really something that we can value a lot more at the moment. If every conversation you have is more like an interview, it's more like, you know, ask 10 questions first, and then maybe you can start speaking. And by the time your vis-a-vis -vis is already like, well, this person is really nice. They really want to know about me. And of course, you have to want to know, not just act like it. That's powerful, I think. Mm, I would really Absolutely. suggest that. And the other thing, I've coached some people recently that that are, uh, you know, like um, leaders. And a lot of people are like so stuck in calls. Um, it's crazy all day. And so in, I was like, well, how that that doesn't work, right? Because especially when you're like you mentioned this before too, when your calendar is kind of open. People can just schedule you to death, and that's you don't want that. And so I've experimented with using a tool. It's called Calendly now, and uh, I have like two. Uh, well, I, I work in weird ways anyway, but I have like two slots a week where people can just schedule calls, and then I'll take the calls. But that means three days a week are free for me, and um, free of calls. So I. I can do my own personal work without distraction at, at that time. I think that's something to really look into, to have fixed uh, times where you can't be called. I think it's important as, a, as an employee. It's also important as a leader. It kind of has a big part of leading your own life, especially at times where you're kind of just, everybody assumes you're just there. And uh, if you can put some boundaries on that, I think that's something that can really help people. So Calendly is the tool I use where you, and then 
or you can also set them in Google Calendar like business hours. It's basically to remove negotiation from the meeting making. Um, and, and then I would say take walks, but we, we discussed it. So, so th these are my, my two cents to that as well. I, I use Calendly as well. And for example, I have settings like I can't have, you can't plan if I already have two or three calls uh, a day, or there always needs to be one hour in between or these kind of settings. Th those are, those are really, uh, really helpful. But I think another piece of advice, uh, and, and <laughs> I'm trying to learn myself to follow my own advice. Of course, of course, uh, we all do. Please um, give the advice anyway. Yeah, well, you know, so sometimes it's 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 an insight already that you have, but you still need to master it. Yeah. Um, is plan time to catch up with people, uh, your colleagues, your uh, business partner, your family. It's so easy to neglect the 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 personal conversations in this time as well because if you're having a call with a colleague it's often about a certain topic you dive into the topic and then when the topic is done you're done with the call um it is plan something in your agenda like like catching up with colleagues or a coffee hour or Again, you need to make sure that there is emotion. I need to understand from my colleagues what they've done in the weekend. Um, just understand what their life is about. Um, and it's so easily neglected um, because you're living on your own island, in your own house. Very true. And uh, with that said, I want to know more <laughs> about what your life is about. We will talk more about that uh, in part two. I have two more things uh, for you before we wrap up part one. Um, I have three questions for you on on memories, kind of, on, on gaming scene and events. Um, and I want to know from you, as an experienced event man, what's your favorite event for business? What's your favorite event for hanging out? And what great memory do you have connecting you with berlin because this is the gamesnet berlin europe podcast so we'll start in the beginning what's your favorite event to be at for business wow that is a hard question i know so virtual events uh, uh aside so, so digging back my memory 2019 and before like we did 25 events on-site events with the team. So there was a lot of traveling involved in that year. Um, it's so hard to answer because I want to give you an answer, but simultaneously I can't give you an answer because there are at each event that we had certain memories. Um, for example, um, in that year, it was the first time that we did a game event in Australia uh, called GCAP. Um, it was not just the event and trying to understand the Australian uh, um, community uh, that was new to me and, we, uh, and had its specifics, which was nice to learn. But it was also about seeing the kangaroos and uh, um, so and 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 the travel of 30 hours um gdc 
in San Francisco is always nice because everybody is there from from any level of of game development. But the city is becoming a less nicer place to be in. I don't know. So so as with any much things or, or anything, um, there are pros and cons of uh, um, lots of things. I think that the um, what what I really like in general are events that focus on either a specific topic or a specific region, and I think that's a that's a nice bridge towards your question about Berlin. I have been working with an event that was uh, that is, is and was called Covades for uh, a very long time, which was uh, held in Berlin, and right now it's part of of Games Week Ber- Games Week Berlin. Event organizers are often asking us, can you bring in publishers or investors uh, that are willing to come here? So pre-COVID again, that are willing to travel here and to talk business. When when you are able to to sell a local community to them, say like, okay, this is the Berlin area where there are a lot of mobile uh, game studios, but there is also a lot of culture around the city. those are two elements that are really worthwhile for a specific segment of buyers, publishers, and investors. Um, and when that happens with an event that we're doing in Spain as well, uh, uh, we're doing something in, in, in Barcelona and in Madrid, or we do something in Copenhagen, Denmark, that specific focus of being able to not only meet with people, but also simultaneously learn about the community, how it's acting as a organism, that for me is very valuable just to understand how communities, countries are different and are equal. So that's a very long answer to your question. And and I said, like, totally maybe fine. I can't give you an answer, but maybe yeah, I've yeah. given you an answer. Yeah. Um, but getting back to the link with Berlin, it's, uh, um, it's, it's a very good hotspot to uh, to go to, to go to uh, a vibrant community a very um uh, and and as main capital of germany also with the uh the current funding opportunities in germany this is this is one of the places to be in for uh, for europe can confirm it's very fun um i'm learning from you that uh you know asking somebody asking somebody like you or you in specific uh, you specifically for his favorite event it's probably like asking me for my favorite album or something music wise and it's just not fair it's not fair i apologize <laughs> <laughs> apology accepted <laughs> it's probably more about um the mod- modalities but it's great how you answered it i appreciate it i think everybody can learn something from it we're wrapping up part one thank you so much totally didn't expect this conversation to happen but such is life um where can people find you on the internet if they want to hear more from you well luckily there aren't so much fedors around in the games industry there are a couple but not too many but uh you can find me on on linkedin or on twitter um my tag is fea Van Herpen, my surname, 
Uh, so you can find me on LinkedIn with that and on Twitter, even on Instagram, if you like, uh, even on Facebook uh, or on Pinterest. <laughs> I, I, <laughs> I haven't been using that for quite a while. Um, but uh, yeah, I think it's my it's my handle on, on many things. I think even on Steam. So okay. if you want to uh, play with me and play some games, uh, uh, please add me there too. Nice. The door is um, open. So that's, <laughs> that's uh, F-J-V-A-N. H-E-R-P-E-N, F-J, Van Herpe, or Herpen. Absolutely. And uh, uh, as I said, Googling uh, uh, does the job uh, pretty quickly as well. If you connect somewhere, I'll, I'll gladly follow back or accept the, uh, um, uh, the invitation. Fantastic. Fedor, thank you so much for your insights, and I'll see you for more talks about life and the universe and all the rest in part 42. Uh, two. So... Stay part 42. I'm looking forward to part 42. <laughs> uh, but let's take part two. I'm looking forward to it. Speak to you in a bit. In a bit. Thanks for listening to part one of this episode. Be sure to also check out part two, which will be released two weeks after part one on all podcast platforms. So it might already be out by the time you hear this. Whatever platform you're on, subscribe or follow the GamesNet Berlin Europe podcast to listen to many more insightful conversations with fantastic games industry guests from Berlin and from all over Europe. Thank you very much and see you very soon. Bye-bye. Hi there. Before you go, this is Florian, Project Manager for GamesNet Berlin Europe. If you want to stay connected to the network, find out more about upcoming events and links to other MediaNet initiatives, you can visit us at gamesnetberlin.eu and subscribe to our newsletter. Thank you so much for listening to our podcast and until next time.